I'm really here to ask you for your life. Yeah. You know, Christianity is kind of like that. It's, Christianity is a tricky thing. I just want you to know it's a little tricky. You know, when I served in Indonesia, you know, we had people that were coming to Christ from a number of different ethnicities and a number of different religious backgrounds. And so they had like zero, um, you know, zero connection with the Bible and with what Christianity was. And so I'd get up and preach and I'm like, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid your price in full. You just have to receive it. And so, you know, people would receive that. And then after they did that, you know, we would unpack the rest of like Christianity and be like, okay, wait a minute, pastor. You said this thing was free and now you're asking for my life. That's kind of how Christianity is really. You know, we receive this free gift of salvation and then all of a sudden we find out in the small print that Jesus actually has given himself for us and in return, we give ourselves to him. That's really what this Christianity thing is all about. And this morning, I want to share on a couple of verses in Romans that outline this. And I'm going to tell a bunch of missionary stories along the way. So pray this morning that God will inspire you. The title of the message is What's Holding You Back? Because I believe <clears throat> that there's always something more that we can give to the Lord. You know, I, I would also say that, you know, the very thing I want to keep is the thing that the Lord wants from me. I don't know if we understand that or not. Usually, whatever. And, and actually, when, we, when we're willing to give it up, we actually don't lose it. You know, and so this is, you know, and when we talk about what's holding me back, I think the more we surrender to Jesus, the more we give of ourselves to the Lord, actually, the more we get released, the more freedom we have, and the more that the Lord blesses our lives, both personally and blesses the community that's all around us. Before I read these verses in Scripture, I'm going to read from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, reading from the English Standard Version. But, you know, uh, Romans, an amazing book of the Bible. Uh, if you're here today and you don't know a lot about the Bible, the Bible has Old Testament and New Testament. And in the New Testament, a lot of the books were actually letters that were written from, we'll say, a real person to a real group of people. So it wasn't like somebody sat down and said, hey, I think I'm going to write the Bible today. You know, and he just got out and started writing. You know, it was more like I'm sending a letter to these people. And so in the book of Romans, Paul, the writer, lays out all these incredible theological thoughts and, you know, teaches about what it means to be a Christian. But then in chapter 10, he talks about making sure that unless we actually go, the people will never hear about the gospel. But then in, in chapter 12, he really lays it down for us and says, okay, if you're really going to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus, this is what it means. And here's what he says in Romans 12, verse 1. After everything he's written, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. May God add his blessing to the word this morning. Today I want to present you with three thoughts on what do we need to surrender to the Lord? You know, if Pastor Mike were here and he was, if he was sitting right down in the front row and he said, Jeff, today for missions, Greenhouse Church is offering you one of two things, but you could only choose one. And in one hand, he said, here's a check for a million dollars for your mission. Or on my other hand, here are 10 individuals from Greenhouse Church that are willing to go to the mission field and reach these people with Jesus, but you can only choose one. Which one would you choose? I want you to know that I would choose the 10 people from this great church over any amount of money that anyone could offer me. And it's because my belief is that what it's going to take to reach the world for Jesus is surrendered lives to him. People who are not only willing to surrender here in Gainesville, but also people who would say, I want to surrender my life for the world, for the peoples of the world that have never heard the gospel before. You see, when it comes to missions, this is what we're really trying to do. Some may ask and say, well, what is missions and, and what does a missionary do? You know, and some would say, well, it's somebody who goes overseas and does good things for people or someone who goes overseas maybe and, and tells other people about Jesus. But I want you to know that being a missionary is a life of surrender to the Lord. And we've surrendered our status here in this country. We've surrendered our finances. We've surrendered everything about us so that people will be able to hear and know about Jesus. It's also about incarnational living. You see, we need to surrender ourselves to the Lord so that as we become more like Jesus, people around the world will see who Jesus really is. Let me get into those points, and I'll share a little bit more on that thought later on in the message. But the first point I want to make this morning is as we are holding back maybe something from the Lord, we need to present our body to the Lord as a true living sacrifice. I'm going to say this again. We need to present our body to the Lord as this living sacrifice. Now, in many ways, that thought is counter to the culture where we're living. The Bible here says to present. It is the act of giving your life. I pray that you won't ever have to get to the point of actually giving your life for the gospel, but I do want to remind you that our brothers and sisters around the world are literally giving their lives for the gospel on a regular basis. We can't get too comfortable as we sit here in the United States and I realize we're facing our own persecutions and it may come to the point where physical persecution could be next for us. But I do want you to know that the bodies of our brothers and sisters around the world in many countries are on the line and many times lost as a result of the gospel being preached in many places. We need to be ready even to present our bodies. 
The word to present is an active verb. It's not just a one-time thing. This is a daily act of saying yes to Christ. What Paul was saying is, it's not just like, well, Jeff is going to come preach at Greenhouse Church, and at the end of the message, we're going to say, okay, I present my body to the Lord, I give my body to the Lord, and then we run off and have lunch and, you know, go back to what we're doing. What Paul was saying is, every day when we wake up in the morning, we say, Lord, this body belongs to you. This body is a living sacrifice, not just one time, but every single day that we are living and breathing here on this earth. Many yeses lead to amazing things. You know, I could tell you, you know, we, as we served in Indonesia, largest uh, Muslim country by population in the world today, uh, you know, we we woke up, I woke up every day and I prayed the same two prayers every day in the start of my prayer time. I said, number one, Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here. Even when we were living on the equator and there was no electricity with not only no air conditioning, but not even a fan. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here. I could have started with a lot of other things like, Lord, I got, a, I got a list of stuff that I'd like to see change, you know. But no, I started out with, Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here. And number two, I always prayed and said, Lord, what amazing thing are you going to do today? No, I lived with the anticipation that something was going to happen every day. And when we live in a yes that says yes to the Lord, I give my life, I give my body to you, Lord. What are you going to do today? When you live in that kind of anticipation, God is bound to do something amazing in your life when you live in, the, in that kind of anticipation. Usually saying yes to God meant it was going to cost me something and that there would be risk involved. We've gotten so used to the idea that God exists to bring me comfort, we've lost our way in the art of making ourselves a daily sacrifice. I should read that again. <laughs> we've gotten so used to the idea that God exists to bring me comfort that we've lost our way in the art of making ourselves a daily sacrifice. And there is something to that. And, and please don't misunderstand me. You know, if, if you're here today and you're suffering physically or suffering mentally, the Lord wants to bring relief to your life. It's not so much that. It's more about the idea that any idea of suffering, any idea of giving of ourselves to the Lord, if it will cost me something, if it will create a risk in my life, it must mean it's not to be or it's not what God wants me to do. And I want to say that everything we do for the Lord that creates risk, that creates some kind of cost in our life. It's just the very thing that he wants us to do. We don't just do it for the sake of suffering. I know people that suffer on purpose, and I'm like, no, I don't think God wants us to do that either. But there are moments when suffering is called for, and we do it for Christ and for the community. The suffering I'm talking about is not self-inflicted but willingly giving our body and energy for Christ and his purposes. Uh, you know, Indonesia was a country with lots of natural disasters. So um, we have natural disasters here in the U.S. We're praying for our dear friends in Hawaii that just went through these wildfires. Every time I turned on my news feed, I was offering up a prayer to the Lord for them, and I hope that many of you were doing the same thing. 
But the country where we lived had many natural disasters, and we were prone to tsunamis. And we, many of you know about the big tsunami in 2004 that really, you know, did a number of the 240,000 casualties from that tsunami, 170,000 of those were in Indonesia. So we were the epicenter of this thing. But a number of, you know, years after that, we had a second tsunami that ran through an island chain called Mentawe. And because only around 2,000 people died, they decided it wasn't worthy enough for international news. So without any aid from the international community, we decided we would go and we would uh, help. Um, you know, this, this area of this island chain, Indonesia has 17,000 islands. So these smaller islands, when a tsunami comes, I mean, it takes out the entire island. So we, did, we had limited resources, so we chose one of the islands that had been uh, destroyed and devastated. And we put together aid, food, clothes, blankets, um, tools, all kinds of things. And then I had a team of about eight of us who took a ship to this island from the west coast of Sumatra, uh, 32 hours on a ship. Now, you guys may think, you know, well, I've been on a cruise before, so, you know, 32 hours on a cruise ship would be awesome, right? Okay, this was not a cruise ship, okay? There were no beds. We were, like, sleeping out on the open deck on the open ocean, you know. And as glorious as that sound, it was not that great of a trip, okay? I'm prone to seasickness, so, yeah, on top of that, right? So we were, when we got to the island, there were no docks for this boat that we had chartered. It was a pretty, you know, decent sized boat. And we had brought along a few dugout canoes. And so we were bridging supplies to the shore with the dugout canoes. And I don't know why we did this, but we unloaded all the hard tack first, the blankets, the tools, things of that nature, clothes that we had brought along with us. And I was on the boat in the hold of the boat. So my eyes were deck level. And as I'm sitting, standing there, pushing supplies up, I see grappling hooks come over the side of our boat, and our boat was boarded by pirates. Now, somebody said, how did you know they were pirates? I said, well, the first guy had a wooden leg, a patch over his eye, and a parrot on his shoulder, you know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the reason why they were pirates is because they stole everything we had left on the boat. <laughs> Not only did they steal all of our food and all of our water, but my Indonesian friend, one of my dear friends, as soon as he saw the grappling hooks, he's like, Jeff, quick, hide, you know, because they knew I'd be an interesting find for these pirates. So I went and hid under some ropes down in the bottom there, but you can ask my grandchildren, I'm not the best at hide and go seek. So the pirates found me and they dragged me up on board of the ship. Um, I left this out in the first service, but I think I felt led to, to tell it in the second service, to tell it here. Um, anyway, I was up on the deck, and the, uh, the pirates were inquiring about me and what they should do, if they should take me or not. And so my good Indonesian friend said, oh, don't take him. He's worthless. He goes... He's a pastor. He has no money. You won't get anything out of him. And on top of that, he complains a lot and he's high maintenance. Leave him behind, you know. And I'm looking at him like, I'm not high maintenance. I'm really not high maintenance, you know. He goes, no, I was just trying to save you, you know. So they left me behind. Um, you know, the part I want to tell about the story I didn't tell him for service was, um, I have a 
I, I hope I don't get too emotional about this. I have a dear friend who's a postman, one of my longtime supporters. And on the same day that that was going on, he was delivering mail. And he delivered a letter with a stamp from Indonesia. And God arrested him and said, pray for Jeff because he's in trouble right now. I believe prayers like that are what saves people's lives. You pray for your missionaries and it's much appreciated. So anyway, we decided to take our dugout canoes back in and tell the team, we can't stay for a week because now we have no food and no water. We'll be in as bad a shape as the refugees. So we, we, we land our, our dugouts. We walk up to the, to the village and, well, you know, not the village, but like the, they had set up a temporary encampment. The village was destroyed. And when we told everybody, you know, hey, get ready. We're not going to be able to stay. When we came back to shore, the boat that we had chartered to take us there got afraid of more pirates and deserted us on the island. So now we have no communications. You know, it's not like there's a cell tower anywhere, right? And I always told my guys on our missions trips, no cell phones, you know, none of that stuff. So finally, one of the Indonesian businessmen that was with me kind of sheepishly came forward and he's like, well, I know you told us not to bring any phones, Pastor Jeff, but I brought a satellite phone because I knew my wife would want me to call and check in with her, you know, so <laughs> we're all like, thank you for not listening to Pastor Jeff, hallelujah, we're saved. <laughs> but we were still stranded on that island for a week with no food and very little resources and really no fresh water. But let me tell you something. We were among an entire community of people who everyone in the community had lost someone. You see, when a tsunami blows through a village, it's not kind to the elderly and it's not kind to babies and children who can't swim and who can't hold on. And to sit with a young couple and the father say, I had my baby in one arm and I was holding on to a tree when the second wave came and knocked the baby out of my arm and our first child was lost forever. There was nothing like spending a week with those people and saying you've not been forgotten, that God does love you and that we love you too and that we are here to pray for you and help you and help you rebuild. I, I, want, you to, I want you to know that, that the depth of that kind of ministry only comes when we say yes to Jesus over and over and over again and it eventually lands you on an island thousands of miles from home. You don't just say yes overnight to something like that. You say yes all along the way until God brings you to that place and then amazing things happen. And I believe that many of you are destined for amazing things. I, I, I can't tell the whole entire story, but we were eventually rescued and we got home uh, to our family safe and sound. Thank the Lord for his provision and his protection. The second thing you need to do is you need to present your mind to the Lord. You need to present your mind to the Lord. We cannot conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This whole thing hinges on our minds. And I want you to know where we live today, it's not easy because our minds are under bombardment round the clock. And listen, I'm not anti-technology. I'm not anti-information, but it is what it is. 
When I went to the mission field in 1989, I would write a letter home, and it would take 10 days to two weeks for my letter to arrive there, because it was pre-internet days, and then it would take another 10 days or two weeks for me to get a response. Can you, I mean, we send text messages, and if we don't get a response in like two or three minutes, we're like, they're ghosting me. No, they just ghosted me. No, it says delivered. Why? What's going on? Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> you know, I'd send a letter, and then like a month later, I'm like, I haven't gotten a response. They're ghosting me. It's a month, you know. <laughs> But as a result of this bombardment of information about people, about things, all of a sudden, things that maybe I want to say are not necessarily biblical principles sneak into our mind and sneak into the culture of the church. I'm going to give you a couple here. Our culture says there's absolute, there's no absolute truth, and the Bible is certainly not that absolute truth. And how that translates into our Christian culture is I am the center of the Bible. Bible story. The truth is the central message of the Bible is the redemption of all mankind back to the Father in heaven. Listen, the Bible is for us. I read it every day. I get story, I get inspiration. I know God is speaking to me through the word, but ultimately the trajectory of God, what God is trying to do in the earth is redeem all mankind back to the Father in heaven. That's the story of the Bible. And sometimes we're just bombarded that the Bible's not true. And if it is true, it's about me. And really, friends, it's not about you so individually. It's about all of us. It's about the whole world. It's about the community of faith. And God is trying to redeem all mankind back to the Father in heaven. You know, sticking to the story of the Bible will save you. Um, you know, during our years in Indonesia, I want you to know that we never spoke ill of any of the religions there. We never spoke ill of the government there. The only thing we preached was the truth of the word of God, which is that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind, and he rose again from the dead. And one of the, you know, planning eight churches, and I want to say that five of those churches were planted in cities and places where there was like zero gospel Christianity or anything. So um, I got in a little bit of trouble along the way, and I got arrested. Now, I want you to know, this is not jail material, okay? So, no, I'm totally serious about that. You know, like, being in jail was the scariest thing of my entire life, okay? So you can say, yeah, our preacher was in jail this morning. Over lunch, you can talk about that, you know. <laughs> Should he even be in the pulpit? You know, he was in jail. <laughs> so anyway, I, I was in jail, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, Lord, I do not belong here. I just don't belong here, you know. Um, so, and when they didn't really bring me to trial, but the policeman was kind of holding his own little trial right there in the police office, and he bring a witness in, and the witness, he's like, okay, what's this guy saying? You've been in his sermons. You've heard him preach. And the guy's like, oh, yeah. But he, keeps, he preaches the same thing every Sunday. 
Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind and he rose again from the dead. Well, did he ever say anything bad about this or about that? Nope, he doesn't talk about that. All he talks about is Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind and he rose again from the dead. And listen, I want you to know that even here in our country, people will ask you about politics. People will ask you about culture. People will ask you about all kinds of stuff under the sun and you need to answer. I don't know much about that. I just know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose again from the dead. That's our two-part message, and let everything else settle itself. Because I'm about the same thing that the Lord is about, the redemption of all mankind back to the Father in heaven. And I really don't have time for a lot of the other things. And, and every country's the same. It's just that the issues are all a little bit different. Our culture says your life is significant and special. How that translates into Christian culture. I decide what I'm going to do, and then I ask God to bless it. The truth is, we need to get on board with God's plan rather than asking him to get on board with our plan. This is, you know, counterculture once again. And, you know, I, I got around so many Christians, even, you know, as I served in Indonesia, they'd come to my house and say, Pastor Jeff, I'm about to do this or I'm about to do that. Pray that God blesses my plan. And I'm like, have you ever considered that God has a better plan than yours? I mean, I know that's a crazy thought, right? But this is where, when we talk about surrendering our mind, rather than deciding ahead of time, these are my gifts and this is what I'm going to do, we need to say, no, Lord, what are your plans? And let me get on board with what you're doing around the world here in this city of Gainesville. Third thing our culture says, my body belongs to me. The Greeks of Paul day, Paul's day believed that the body wasn't worth anything to be sacrificed. It was all spiritual. So Paul's statement in Romans here is shocking to them in that why would you offer up something so worthless as this human body? We live in a day that is the polar opposite to this. To us, our body is everything. Jesus is saying, no, your body belongs to me. Sometimes this translates into Christian culture. I will lay my garbage at the foot of the cross and not my life. The truth is, everything about us should belong to Christ. And for the record, he wants it all. He wants the good in you. He wants the bad in you. But he wants it all. We have this idea of Christianity. I've got problems. I've got sins. I've got shortcomings. And I'm going to lay those at the cross. And then I'm going to walk out of this building completely free. And I can do whatever I want with this body of mine and with this life of mine. And the Lord is saying, no, I don't, when you commit to me, I not only want you to give me your garbage and the bad things, but I want you to give me everything you have. And when you do that, he'll take you to places you never dream possible. Last thing I want to say to you, my last point today, number three, is that you need to present your will to the Lord. That by testing, you will discern what the will of God is. So how does all this relate to missions? You see, it takes our will. You know, sometimes there's a willingness to say, yes, this body belongs to you, Lord. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
It's even to say, Lord, yes, I want my mind transformed. But our will is a tricky thing. Our will is probably the one area that is the most difficult to surrender to the Lord. You know, we're strong-willed, aren't we? And, and I realize that we've got like a plethora of nations here. But one of the things about being American is strong-willedness, if I can use that word. And, and so even if you've come here as an immigrant, what got you here is your strong will in some ways. Your determination. We've got a will. We've got a determination. And sometimes surrendering that will and that determination to the Lord is a very, very difficult thing. You know, I want to go back to this idea of incarnational living. How does this relate to missions and how does this relate to surrendering your will Doing missions is not just doing good works in a foreign country or even telling people about Jesus. Missions ministry is incarnational in nature. It is becoming like Jesus to the people we are living among. It is adopting their language, adopting their culture, adopting their food, and letting them see who Jesus is through us. And this is an act of the will. You know, one of the problems I think around the world is that people have really, truly yet to see Jesus. Um, you know, uh, one of the church planting projects that we had there in Indonesia, so one of the things that I liked to do was to go to provinces and go to cities and smaller towns where I knew there was no churches and no Christians. Sometimes, you know, I'd get a couple guys, we'd get on motorcycles, and we'd go out for a week or 10 days and just go from town to town, village to village, and no agenda. You know, we didn't really go with a, like, well, we're going to do this and then do this. we just go and say, Lord, lead us. Eat in a restaurant, meet people, pray for people, believe God for miracles, look for the man or the woman of peace in that village. You know, all these different things as we traveled around. And I came across one very particularly stubborn and difficult area where the church had never been established, never been, implant, never been planted since the beginning of time. And I'm not talking about just our Assembly of God church. I mean, there was no, no sign of any Christianity at all. So after touring this area two times and praying, I decided we need something a little more powerful. And so we, we went ahead and called for a 40-day fast and prayer. And we decided to have the fast and prayer five days preceding Ramadan and five days following Ramadan. Ramadan is a 30-day uh, fast, and we did it for 40 days. We rented a building in the capital of that province, got up on a high tower, and called for Christians to fast and pray. Now, when we started doing this, I thought, well, who's going to really want to do that, you know? So I got a team from the U.S. that was going to come and help for part of the time. And I didn't fast the whole 40 days, but we had people in that room fasting. I thought we were going to do like one service a day. No, this group of people and these Christians, along with us and our team, we had people fasting and praying 24 hours a day for 40 days straight over this province and over these cities. It was amazing. So at the end of that fast, we launched our church planters out into four. There were seven major 
uh, principalities, cities on, on this route that went to the whole province. We launched four church planters. They started small businesses just to establish themselves in the community. And it was amazing that in every single case, after they got their business up and running and people started coming in and found out they were a Christian, in every single place where they started, people came in and said, oh, you're a Christian? During Ramadan, I had a dream of Jesus. <clears throat> that was amazing. But what was even more amazing was that Jesus told every single person the same thing. Go find a Christian and they'll tell you everything you need to know about me. What if, what if somebody here in Gainesville last night had a dream of Jesus and Jesus said to them, find a Christian and they'll tell you everything. And what if you were that person? Are you ready to have incarnated, to be a, 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 a Jesus who's a Gator fan? Does Jesus root for the Gators? Some people here? I thought, it, you, I thought you guys would jump up and cheer or something. I don't know. No, but what does that look like? What does someone who lives in Gainesville, who's just like Jesus, what does that look like? You see, it's going to take an act of the will for us to model, to incarnate Christ to the people that are living around us. And then for those of you that are feeling nudged today, maybe to go beyond Florida, to go beyond the borders of the United States, to go to some of the difficult places like you saw in that video earlier, maybe that's what God is calling you to do as well. The will is a strong thing. It's counterintuitive to surrender all of that to the Lord. But he talks about it being a test. So what's the final exam going to be? I'm going to close with one final story that will kind of wrap things up here. You know, at the end of the service, I just want you to know I'll be in the back at the book table. Um, would love to meet you and talk to you about what God is saying to you about your future and about missions, and you can talk to Pastor Andrea as well, who leads the missions team here, but we'd love to see some of you say, yes, the Lord is calling me to missions and to do something beyond the borders of this country. Um, you know, back to this Mentawe tsunami that we went to, um, the story I told happened about a month after this tsunami because it took us that long to organize, but as soon as the tsunami happened, Myself and another friend of mine decided we would go immediately and try to get there with what little aid we had to help people on the main island. And so, um, you know, we were finding a hard time getting passage across the ocean. As I mentioned, a 32-hour, you know, boat ride. And, there, and they, there was not a lot of boats in the shipping lane as a result of the tsunami. But an emergency um, oil tanker was being sent there to deliver fuel, gas, um, uh, uh, diesel fuel, and kerosene. The Indonesian words are just popping up in my head. So, so this, this ship, and we, we went down to the harbor. Now, I was like relieved because I'm thinking, you know, oil tanker. I'm thinking like the Exxon Valdez, you know. I'm thinking, okay, good. It'll be a smooth ride. It's a rough ocean, but we'll be okay. Well, I get down there, and you know, it's this wooden boat, maybe like the width of this stage with three giant tanks on the front of it, one with each of those fuel types, and it's leaking everywhere. 
There's an oil slick in the water. So I'm about to walk up the gangplank, and I see the ship hand standing there smoking a cigarette, right? That's the moment where you're like, I'm either a man of faith or I have lost my mind. You know, Lord, should I take another? Are you tell by seeing that guy smoking, are you saying, Jeff, don't get on this boat? You're going to kill yourself, right? But you know what I did? I got on the boat, you know, and I said, hey, put that cigarette out. What are you trying to kill us or something? You know, it's like the ugly American, you know. So we got on the boat. We take the, 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 the trip over. Uh, we helped, you know, numerous people there. We had a pastor contact there, our only pastor on that main island. Not on the island I talked about earlier, but on the main island, there was one pastor. And he lived in a, a, a dirt floor hut that was very, very simple. He was very, very poor. And he was raising pigs and chickens. And when it rained, the whatever was in those pens would kind of rush through his house like a, like a river. We were sleeping in that. So I have to be honest and say that I was reaching the end of my ability to endure. And instead of being able to go back after we had handed out all our supplies, the shipping lanes were completely closed by the government because they were afraid people were going to, the ships were going to sink because the water was so bad, so rough. So after a couple of days, I was, you know, complaining to the Lord, you know, <laughs> you can do that every once in a while because you can hide it, but he can read your heart and your thoughts, you know, so I just let it all out and I'm like, Lord, okay, this is terrible. I really want to go home. I miss my family and these conditions are literally killing me. So the pastor though said, listen, I know you're stuck here. I've been trying to plant a church in another little village nearby here. Um, would you be willing to go there with me. So I said yes, and he and I got on his motorbike. We rode into the jungle for about two hours and got off, parked it, and then walked for another two hours. And when we got to this village, we broke through the foliage of the village. As soon as the people saw us, they came running to us and said, hey, someone is dying, come quickly. It was as if they had ordered us up or something. There's no hospitals, there's no regular doctors. And so we went to this little hut and we found in the back of the hut a man laying on a bamboo mat on the floor who had what I refer to as a death rattle in his chest. He had been unconscious for several days and I, had just, I could just sense he was close to dying. Nobody really knew what was wrong with him. I noticed strange markings on his body. They were kind of like tattoos, but not something beautiful that we see on some of the tattoos that we have here, but just kind of weird lines and markings and things. And so we prayed for him for about 30 or 45 minutes or so, and the time passed, but nothing happened. His condition didn't change. And as I was leaving the hut, because we were going to meet some other people in the village, um, suddenly around the corner of the hut, I was confronted by his wife, who was completely covered um, from head to toe. It was an animus village, but his wife was a Muslim. And she said to me, she said, sir, that's my husband in there. And if you can heal him, I'll become a Christian. Well, I said, you know, I can't heal him, but Jesus can heal him. And she said, I've taken him to every witch doctor and every shaman I know, and they've marked his body with these different markings, promising a healing, but he's only gotten worse. And now I brought him home here to die. 
So I, I said, well, we need to go back in and pray again because now we have a little bit more clear direction. And so we went back into the room where the man was and we started praying. But now instead of praying for healing, we were praying against the demonic forces that had been put on his body. And we said, we take authority over that in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In us is no power, but in the name of Jesus, it is all powerful. And so we bind the spirits that are, that are making this man sick causing him to die, and we declare healing over him in Jesus' name. And when we got through with like about 10 minutes of prayer, the death rattle in his chest completely disappeared, and you could see he was resting easy. Yeah, praise God. We, we, we then said, well, we have to go because to get back to walk through the jungle, we needed time, and it wasn't safe to walk through the jungle there in the dark. So we, we left, we got back, and you, you know, wouldn't you, I got back in the evening, next morning, ship said, ship lanes are clear, you can go, you know, so I'm like, Lord, you could have told me this guy needed prayer like four days ago, you know, but we got in the ship, we went home, two months later, I received a picture in the mail of this man and his wife, and the pastor wrote me and said, I just baptized these two people, and they're the start of our church in that village. You know, I want more than anything for the people of Greenhouse Church to live under divine appointments that the Lord wants to put in your path along the way, just like that. But it's going to take you to surrender your body, to surrender your mind, and to surrender your will to Him. Would you stand with me?